0: from 1 Peter chapter 3. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you If you are eager to do good, but even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better it is, if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil.
1: Well, today, what a beautiful fall day the Lord has given to us and we c- we're continuing our, our series on Committed... And today we're talking about being committed to share the faith, the hope that we have in Jesus. I want to start out by telling you about a pastor that, uh, that that I knew, and he loved motorcycles. It was similar to a pastor I knew up in Wisconsin that loved Corvettes, but this guy loved motorcycles. And his affinity was for Hondas. Hondas are very, very soft and quiet and very smooth. And... Uh, years ago, it was a 750 Honda that this pastor had his eye on. It, it had the gold trim and, and me- metallic, and it was just beautiful. And he walks into the sales room, and uh, this, the salesman meets him and uh, says, Hey, uh, as he's looking at this motorcycle, she's a beauty, isn't she? And the pastor says, oh, sure is. And while all the time he's thinking about a pastor's salary and he probably will never be able to afford something like that. But then the the salesman goes on uh, to ask him, well, what do you do for a living? That's always kind of a touchy thing. I've faced that many times in my life. And he says, well, I'm a pastor. And, And he says, you know, when you go around making your calls, people will never notice you if you're driving a car through town but if you drive this thing, listen, it'll lay rubber for 100 yards. People will never forget you, pastor. And he said, besides, besides you're, you're going to get great, great gas mileage. And when you go to the hospital, you can find a parking spot so much easier. You can squeeze into all sorts of different places. And then the, the salesman whispers to the pastor, he says, he says uh, by the way, Reverend, I know you aren't really supposed to be interested in this sort of thing, but they really are a lot of fun. (laughs) And this pastor has a commentary on that, and and he says, you know, if if I was looking for a lawnmower, uh, then it would have been so acceptable for a pastor because lawnmowers, you know, uh, are kind of boring and slow and methodical. Uh, But when I looked at this motorcycle, people are shocked. Why would a pastor drive a motorcycle like that, especially one that can go 140 miles an hour? And he went on to make this observation. He says, what does this tell us about the church? What does it say about Christians? And uh, he says, lawnmowers are safe, sane, slow, predictable, and practical. Motorcycles are fast, wild, thrilling, and are associated with risk, run, and daring adventure. And so then he asked the question, is being a Christian more like a lawnmower? Or is it more like a high-speed bike? And then he goes on to answer it. He says, I'm afraid that we're more lawnmower-ish, I'm not even sure that's a word, than we want to think. But as Christians, we see once again today the joy and the privilege that we have in being God's people. That of all the people of the world, we have a joy in our hearts, in our lives, that no one else can, can have that we of all people who have been adopted in our baptism to be God's own are the ones, as Jesus says, who are the salt of the earth. We're the ones that are adding flavor wherever we go. And so when we think about our excitement that we have of the gospel, I want to challenge you today that it's our duty and our privilege and our joy now to take the gospel to the open road. In terms of motorcycle, why can't we give it some gas? Why can't we see what the old girl will do, all right, when it comes to Jesus and his love for the world? Well, our passage today under focus, you, you, read, you heard just a few minutes ago from First Peter. And here, there Peter reminds us that as we set apart Christ as our Lord, as that happens in our lives, we are trusting in him and we are growing in our faith. And then as a result, we are committed to sharing the hope that we have. We are prepared to answer anyone who asks about that hope. You see, when the Holy Spirit fills your heart, and by the way, you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are baptized into the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, you tend to have the same passion and the same heart that God has. We are of Christ. And what is God's passion? What is His heart? 1 Timothy 3 says that God, our Savior, wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And when you have a heart after God's heart, you realize that there are people who don't have a living relationship with Him. And you are committed with everything that God has given you to connect more people to that grace. We are prepared to share the hope. I don't have to tell you that people today need hope. People today need a glimmer of a better future, that things are going to get better somehow, some way. We need hope for for a joy-filled, exciting life. We need hope for security. We need hope to know that there's something better than what we're living in right now. And And I can tell you that some of you are going through some difficult times, but there's hope. I appreciate reading about a laboratory experiment with with laboratory rats, Uh, it's a little bit gross, okay, I'll warn you, but they took two groups of these rats and they put them into big buckets of water, and after about an hour, one of the groups uh, of the rats had drowned, they were all dead, but on the other large bucket, they kept going in and taking the rat, lifting it out of the water for just a few seconds, and then putting it back in the water. And they found that by doing so, these rats were able to swim more than 24 hours. And you say, well, why is that? What what was the difference? Well, the difference was that somehow they were given hope, that they knew that there was a chance that somebody was going to lift them out of their terrible situation and and help them. And because of that, they had hope. Friends, when we think about what God has done for us, how He has reached down and He has grabbed you and me. He has taken us out of the miry bog, as Psalm says. He has lifted our our head high up and exalted us high upon our enemies around us, our troubles, so that we know the grace of God in Jesus and we know the hope that we have. And it's not just a hope for this life, but it's the hope that because Jesus Christ conquered Satan and sin and death on the cross and rose again, we have the assurance that our hope is forever. And it's a sure and certain hope, not based on on what we can do or, or don't do, but it's based on his promises. And friend, if you are basing your hopes on anything other than Jesus Christ, you're setting yourself up disaster. Remember the parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 7, the story of the, of the two house builders? One built his house on the sand, and one built his house on the rock. And when, not if, when the rains came down, when the waters rose up, when the wind blew, only the house that was founded on the rock was able to withstand and so for us as God's people, it's, a, it's a, such a reminder that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, that He is the rock-solid hope of our lives. And that's why we're excited to share it, that we can't keep the hope just for ourselves, but we share it with others as well. And, and, and Peter, he adds one word, he says, and do it with gentleness and respect, that as God the Holy Spirit fills us, he he comes to us and not only loves us, but his love flows through us. Uh, here in these weeks, we've been showing you uh, uh, situations of individuals in our congregation. I just want to share with you this video of Jacob Carr. I've known Jacob for many many years, and it's a blessing to see what God is doing in his life. I'm
2: always look for those opportunities to, to share my faith. Being involved in small group, being aware of other people and seeing that their struggles are the same as mine, you know, understanding you know where Roman says all have uh, fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, my dad, Dave Tunney, he always says, like I'm in the muck with you. And when you realize that I'm no better than anybody else, it kind of levels that playing field. I can really think of one situation. I had a former co-worker that I hadn't talked to for a year, and he reached out to me kind of out of the blue, um, been uh, living an alternative lifestyle, um, had been abused as a kid, um, and was dealing with some pretty heavy substance abuse issues, and uh, asked me to go out, spend a day with him, so we were out there, and I'm listening to him talk, and um, he's talking about how he's estranged from his parents, and as we're going through this day, I start feeling the Holy Spirit kind of nudging me to say something, and I'm kind of fighting it, right, that, that initial thing, and... Um, We're driving back, and he's going back and forth, and he's talking about, well, my parents, they don't extend me unconditional love, Jake. What do you think? And I said, well, you've cut your parents out, and I think the unconditional love that you're expecting from them, you're not extending to them. And uh, he kind of looked down and then looked back at me and said, I'm not sure I agree, but what is grace to you? And that was a wide open opportunity to start sharing my faith, talk to him about that opportunity and to me it was a great learning experience i remember when i was going through a difficult time with uh with a friend and ministering to him scott did a sermon on esther four um where esther is uh, basically charged with helping uh, save the jews and he said something in 414 that says you were here for such a time as this and then he said it's like sports you know anytime any place anywhere and then he's like no it's actually some person someplace Somewhere, And then he said, no, right now, it's this person in this place right now. Uh, church has been very uh, supportive of me and um, helping me um, further that uh, desire to, to get out into the community.
1: And I thank God for many of you who over the years have told me stories about how you have been able to share the hope that you have in Jesus. And when I look at this passage and the task before us, the joy that we have in sharing our faith, there's, there are two words there that, that really stick out to me. Peter says that we are to do that with gentleness and respect. Sometimes we don't always do that. Some of us are really good about telling what other people, what they should do or what they shouldn't do we have we're we're pretty good at saying you should or you have to believe this whereas gentleness and respect may call for a different approach i uh, a christian once made a confession and said lord i've prayed for the lost but i haven't really loved them i've not lived with them i've not invited them and so lord forgive me because really i'm the one who's been lost One author I read quoted uh, a California-based marketing research company saying that non-Christians in the United States view evangelical Christians somewhat more kindly than prostitutes, but with less affection than lawyers. Now, I don't believe that for a minute, okay? (laughs) But it does strike a nerve that many people view us Christians as being pushy or phony, with really little interest in getting to know them. Yet we are called to give a reason for the hope that we have. And we do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, Another pastor story, a pastor and his wife were were sailing in their little day sailor. It only holds two people. And they came into the marina and they, they parked their boat right next to this huge yacht, And the owner of the yacht saw them coming and started talking to them and invited them to a party that was going to happen that evening on their yacht. And so the pastor and his wife said, sure, we'll come. And uh, so they went. And even though they didn't know anybody, they didn't look down at their noses on people. Uh, they uh, they, They were friendly. They didn't act overly pious. And they had a wonderful evening. Well, as they were leaving the boat, the owner of the boat asked him again, well, what do you do for a living? And he says, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And the pastor said that he was not the least bit surprised. And they smiled at him and the pastor said, uh, and the guy said to the pastor, he says, you know, I've, I've got some questions. I've always wanted to ask someone like you, but I've never had an opportunity. And the pastor and his wife said, well, the evening's still young. Look at the moon. Let's sit down and talk about it. And they talked about it. And this man was able to have his questions addressed with respect not in a judgmental way. And it made a big difference. And eventually the man became a Christian. You see, we are committed to share Christ. In fact, Jesus says that we are to be fishers of people, fishers of men, mankind in the the generic sense. Why? Because God values people. Jesus died for people. And and, you know, you go to one of the most famous chapters of the Bible, Luke chapter 15, and you look at the three parables that Jesus told. The parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, and finally the lost son or the prodigal son. And why were they missed? Because in each case they were so valuable. The coin, the sheep, the son. And if God values people like that, if that's on his heart, if that's his passion, that is our passion as well. And what a privilege, what an opportunity we have then to be able to share the hope with gentleness and respect. A letter written by a fairly new Christian was sent to the person who had influenced her the most. This is what the letter says. You know, when we met, I began to understand a new vulnerability, a warmth, and a lack of presence that impressed me about you. I saw a thriving spirit, no sign of internal stagnation anywhere. I could tell you were a growing person, and I liked that. I saw you had strong self-esteem, not based on the fluff of self-help books, but on something much, much deeper. I saw that you lived by convictions and priorities, not just by convenience or self-pleasure and financial gain. And I've never met anyone like that before. And I felt a depth of love and concern as you listened to me, and you didn't judge me. You tried to understand me, you sympathized with me, and you celebrated me. You demonstrated kindness and generosity, and not just to me, but I saw you do it with others. And for these reasons, I finally found myself wanting to know what you had. And friend, when you have established a relationship like that, that is is non-judgmental, and you learn to actually listen to people, and you establish a relational bridge with them, they want to know what makes you tick. The fact is, each of us have a personal arena, a sphere of influence. And you say, not me, but yes, you do. You know people that I will never, ever know. And as a result, God is calling you to be committed to establish a relationship and then being willing and able to share the hope that you have. What if we engaged these people, not in a judgmental way, but in a joyful way? in an exciting way, no ho-hum, lawnmower-ish approach, right? We have the joy of Jesus. What if we engage these people in a, not in a judgmental way, but in, in a way that values them and so listens to them? What if people knew that we care genuinely about them so that as a relationship is built, they want to know why you're different? Well, today we're asking you to think about and pray about a commitment. If you would take out the commitment card that was in your worship folder, you should have got one. If you didn't, there's some more back there. And again, each week we've been talking about a different commitment. And today the commitment is to share. And I always say that the key to sharing my faith over the years has been prayer. Like Paul asked his friends, he said, pray that God will open a door. And when you begin your day asking, God, use me. Let me talk to someone today about my faith. And maybe it's as simple as saying, God bless you, or I thank God for you, or or, I'll be praying for you. In some way, you are opening up a relational bridge for people to know the hope that you have. And so what are we asking you to do? To commit to sharing my personal statement of faith. You know, your personal statement of faith is yours. It's not mine, it's not the church's, but it's how God has moved in your life. And no one can argue with your personal story. You know, if someone says, "Well, that's not for me," you you can honestly say, "I'm just telling you what I found." the peace that I have, the joy in my life, the security, the hope that I have, that I know that things are going to get better, okay, through Jesus, my Savior. And you're willing to do that. And if you're willing to do that, just put your name there. And again, we don't, we don't, we don't count these, but we do pray over them. And so if you would, put your family name and, and today's date and fold it over and just put it in the offering plate. And this goes for our guests as well. Uh, We praise God, and the act of committing ourselves is something that God asks us to do. There's a painting that pictures an old shack that has been burned down, and the only thing left in from that shack is a stone fireplace. And the charred uh, debris that is there represents everything that this family had, every one of their soul of their possessions and in front of the destroyed home stands an old grandfather-looking man, and the only thing he's wearing is his underwear. And next to him is a little boy, a small boy, clutching a pair of patched overalls, and the boy is crying. Beneath the picture are the words that the artist felt the old man was speaking to the boy. They're simple words, yet they present a profound philosophy for life. And this is what the Word said at the bottom of the picture. Hush, child, God ain't dead. God ain't dead. He's not dead for you, and He's not dead for our world. So that even when we feel like we're sinking and we're in despair, how grateful we are that God has picked us up out of of the muck and the mire of this life. And He said that I love you. I know you perfectly and I love you and I forgive you and I gave my life for you on the cross and I rose again so that you can have hope. And it's a hope that will never, ever disappoint you. And we're committed to share it. So may the Lord bless us as we give it some gas, as we take the message of Jesus out on the open road. And by God's grace, may He bless our commitments to share the hope that we have in Him. Amen? Amen.